0: Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast, presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach Chad Timmerman. Hi, everybody. Our CEO Nate Pearson. Hello. And we are going to answer more of your cycling and triathlon related questions today. You can submit them at trainerroad.com/podcast, and we'll go through those questions. We read every single one of them. Uh, it's a lot of them, and then we put together a list of questions that we feel we can cover that could make for informative and entertaining entertaining content for all of you. And we also share a bit from our personal experiences that we are having as we train and race and that sort of a thing.
1: And, uh, you're always, you're always supposed to learn something too. So if you don't want to hear about us, look just listen to another podcast. <laughs> yeah. But we, we try to weekend. keep it actionable. We yeah. had
0: a really big weekend, huge weekend. Uh, so we, we went to, it was team camp weekends over in Northern California this time of year. It's where a lot of teams or pro cycling teams are doing team camp. And we went over, uh, Nate and I went over to the Mark pro camp and the cliff bar camps. And we recorded some podcast content that'll be upcoming soon. We're going to talk a little bit about that where we're, I'll probably like. Nate can cut me off or I'll cut Nate off when we, when we share too much. We don't much. want it to do too much. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a we, we learned a bunch of things.
1: Like so much. <laughs> do you, where do you want to start? They're really, really, really fast.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no
1: doubt. Uh, let's start pre because cool. I think there's another takeaway with the let's waxing chains. Yeah, good point. So we bought the stuff. We talked about it. We talked about waxing chains. And for those who don't know, you actually dip your chain in wax. And what it's mm-hmm. supposed to do is uh, it increases efficiency, so reduces friction. Mm-hmm. Lose less watts on your drivetrain. You might lose like like seven watts would be like a dirty one to a wax chain. Mm-hmm. It stays uh, very clean and mm-hmm. it's supposed to stay silent for like two to four hundred miles, depending on the like conditions that you ride in. It. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's kind of a pain, but once you get it down, it's supposed to be easier. So
0: yeah. we, I start just to clarify really quick. This isn't you're you're not just dipping it in a candle. This is molten speed wax. Is the yeah I use molten
1: have. speed wax, which is like I think paraffin wax with uh, a whole bunch of other like secret stuff that they add to it to add get an extra water to.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. So a, the process. Should we go through that?
1: Yeah. There's, so there's a, <laughs> the whole process. The first step of it for waxing your chain is you have to make sure your chain is absolutely clean, sparkly clean.
0: We're yeah. talking raw surface. When I say raw surface, I mean like. Really raw, like
1: yeah. pins and all.
0: Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing on any surface at all, and that's actually really hard to do. People yeah. think that it would be like scrubbing your chain with like a strong degreaser, and that's not it. It's soaking no. your chain and agitating it and specific stuff.
1: So I had, uh, I put it, I did a, I did an old chain and a new chain, and I put it in uh, like Simple Green HD, which is one of the things they recommended. And I know people are going to yell at me for doing that, but I put <laughs> it in a. Uh, a when you say they recommended Who's um, they. Molten speed wax. Yeah. I put it in a uh, ultrasonic agitator, like an industrial one that they recommend. Yeah. Did that for an hour. Had it at six degrees Celsius. And then there's one mistake I, I didn't do is I guess with like a new chain, you know, it has that new kind of film on it that's horrible. Yeah. Um, to get that off- I talked to Molten Speedwax guys after this, and, boy, those guys are passionate about chains. <laughs> yes, Just so you know. <laughs> so passionate about chains. I learned a lot from them. Uh, but you're supposed to put it in a, a bath of, like, either citrus cleaner or uh, – Mineral spirits. Mineral spirits. That's it. To get that off.
0: And mineral spirits is harsh stuff.
1: Yep. And I had to – I did it, so – over, I just yesterday did it again on a brand new Eagle chain. It mm-hmm. took me seven baths of mineral spirits to get the chain clean. Jeez. That's a brand new chain. Brand new chain. How and long is that been time-wise? It? It was like 30 minutes. Ugh.
0: And it's not just, was that, I, I can't remember which chain I saw, but it wasn't just the film that was coming off, but there was also like, there was gunk in there. there was de- that was debris, from a chain right?
1: that was written no. twice. Previously?
0: Okay, gotcha. Two
1: okay. days, two times.
0: Was there any debris coming out of the new chain or was no. it just getting that sticky yeah. stuff off?
1: Pretty much I just kept doing it until the liquid got clear. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but it, long story short, I didn't do it right. And I think the, the other mistake I did is when you put it in the wax, you're supposed to agitate it a bunch. Mm-hmm. That they way it this... gets
0: in between the rollers and the pins and instead of just adhering to the outer surface. Yep. Okay.
1: And uh, so then when I started riding, it was making sound. And I thought, oh, I'll just maybe it needs to break in a little bit. We got down to Cliff Bar HQ. Yeah. We rode. It just kept skipping. Nothing like would stay in there. Dry chain, yeah.
0: Dry chain with wax globbed on the outside. Oh, and
1: I also ruined my SRAM Red cassette. (laughs) Don't... Yeah, what
0: did you do with that? I
1: put that in... uh, What did I put it? Oh, I used like something crazy, denatured alcohol the day before, (laughs) which you're not supposed to do, or lacquer thinner or something. And a SRAM Red cassette, this is 1132, I didn't realize it, but it has seals in between some Mm -hmm. of the cogs. Yeah. And I thought that was causing it to jump too or just be really loud. Yeah. So... They, Day they do, it does camp.
0: make it loud. Like yeah. that's one of the complaints that because the SRAM Red cassette's one piece, so when you would shift a gear, it would kind of vibrate throughout mm-hmm. the rest of your bike because it was all one unit like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a big complaint of a lot of people when they first, when SRAM Red first started coming out, was how loud that it was. Power Dome, yeah, the Power Dome as yeah. they called it then. Now it's 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 more porous. It has holes throughout it, so it's not just an echo chamber inside. But it's uh, they they cleverly added those rubber things in to quiet it down. I don't yeah, know if there's yeah. another purpose behind it, but the rubber kind of sits in different spots to dampen. Is it those still a
1: usable noise. cassette or is it garbage? I don't know. I, I had so many other things happening. So I went to Mike's Bikes in, in Berkeley, and I hate being this guy, but I like come up, you're like, dudes, please help. Like, I need this right now. I have to drive like three hours after this. Yeah. Um, They were great. They like psh, took the bike right back, you know, and, and did it, and they put a new chain on. Um, and they put a new cassette on too, because with both of that, that it wouldn't shift. So I think the cassette might be bad. Mm-hmm. Then they're like, Hey, come check it out. Front derailleur stops working. <laughs> oh, and I have an ETap. tap uh, oh, no. front derailleur. <laughs> oh. Uh, and it worked right before that. And, and even the mechanic guy, like I just saw it work.
0: And it wasn't a battery deal.
1: Nope. It was it was, would, fine. you'd click on it and it the light would, um, light up. So it was communicating the button on it wouldn't work. So that's a hard part to find too. They don't People don't have front derailleur E-taps laying around. <laughs> so Mike's Bikes, awesome. They said, go get a coffee, we're gonna call around. Came back, Mike's bike, San Francisco has one. So I get in my car, drive from Berkeley to San Francisco <laughs> at like 4.30 p.m., which is not a good time to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, going to
1: that Mike's Bikes, again, they're like, sure, come on, Mike, back, they're super busy. They helped me out and they actually took apart. Like I had to pay for the part, but they took it from a box and they said, they're going to warranty my part and then refund me the money.
0: That's cool. Isn't
1: that amazing? Yeah. So yeah. Mike's awesome. bikes, holy smokes. Good that job, was awesome. Guys. Yep. So the wax chain, but now you've learned on the wax chain side of things. Yep. So I tried it again Yeah. and I did it on an Eagle chain and I'm going to use it for my mountain bike race on Sunday, which is probably pretty stupid. I rode around <laughs> the parking lot though. <laughs> and <around laughs> Was, the was park- it quiet? S- silent. Shift well? Shifted Great. Great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. And if, how long if, is that race? Ooh, 24 miles. Okay. And if In we do it- Potentially wet conditions. Yeah. Yes. It's Which is, so it's a big test. like it. Yeah. And another good reason, well, if we, if we figure out the process, like, well, there's figure out how to do the process, because there is yeah. a process, I think we should just wax like 10 or 15 chains at once, mm-hmm. and then just switch them out, yeah. wait until they're all dirty- Right, you're I think all that's the way to do and start it. over all again. It yeah, be. and then that'll last us like until 12 speed road comes out or something like that.
0: Not long, perhaps this year. Yeah, who knows? Oh, shoot. Um, but the the interesting thing with this, and I, I want people to understand this because I'm sure people are thinking, why are we talking about chains? But we work. I mean, you get to a point with your fitness where you like strive. Yeah all year to get like five watts on your FTP or something like that Mm -hmm. and something like this can save you quite a lot of watts right like they say up to how many watts well seven
1: i think and that's okay so there's different stuff and i'm sure some of you are losing like 20 watts on your drivetrain easy yeah there's just from a wax chain to like so if you perfectly clean a chain and you put on wax versus like a bad loop that can Mm -hmm. be seven Mm-hmm. If you've got dirt and stuff, I don't know how high it could go. It can be bad. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> and, and I've seen some of those uh, – some of your chains are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, right? You think you just clean the outside and it's good. There's actually tension on the chain. And uh, as you clean it, it can't get – the soap and everything can't get into the pins yeah. in between. And then that is uh, – that's where the friction is. Not on the outside. There's no yeah. friction on the outside. Right. Yeah. There's I mean, noise out there.
0: Yeah, there can be some friction. Obviously, if you have that, you know, the rollers between the cogs and everything. Yeah, yeah, the cogs. Yeah, but it's minimal compared to the friction, the internal friction to let those let,
1: let those little pins roll. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we also yeah. found out there's a YPN quick link that okay. you're supposed to be able to reuse five times.
0: And is that just a road eleven speed one?
1: And an eagle one. Eagle eleven or eagle. Ooh. And so you can take that off. And then the the easy, I think the simplest way to clean your chain well, put it in a citrus degreaser in like a little bottle and just shake, 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 shake with your hand. Yeah. And then once it gets, once you'll get a bunch of stuff out, do that a few times Mm. to get it really clean. That I would leave it overnight or something like that. Yeah. But they said a citrus would be good on that one.
0: Huh. Awesome. Good stuff. So that you, you got your chain all fixed though. That yep. was all good. And then we headed off to team camp. So the first day, um, we rode with cliff bar. Uh, they were just doing a really short ride, more like a sponsor media ride. Uh, they had to get some video content for a project that they're working on. And they were visiting cliff bar that day, getting all like the, the b- bikes built and all that stuff from the new sponsors. But we did a short ride there. Um, you missed out on that ride. I think yeah, I yeah. decided to sleep in. Yeah, not a bad idea. Um, but we did that ride and we got I just wanted to share this, we got a top ten across a top ten across the Golden Gate Bridge. Or sorry, the the Bay Bridge. On the way to treasure Island. Did you really? Yes, we did. Uh, But it was not because of team cliff bar. It was because of a guy on an e-bike that was just sitting there wide open and we dropped into his draft. So, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it was, uh, it was just an easy ride. Rode in the Oakland Hills after that, which is a great area. But the next day, and then we, I should say, we then stayed with the cliff guys that night, recorded a podcast, ate extremely well. They Mm -hmm. ate really well. Uh, I learned that on that, that I guess, uh, on this trip is that the pros eat
2: extremely well, which
0: I'm not a big surprise. But then Mark Pro Camp was pretty tough. Uh, we the next day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they ruined me for team camps, <laughs> so I'm done. <laughs> we probably don't. We, that'll be in the next podcast. It released. will be. Yeah, um, but
0: we should talk a bit about the TT, the should we not? Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we had
0: so their team camp, and you'll hear more about this in the upcoming podcast, the specifics on it. But it's pretty. It's pretty serious. You know, like like it's it. it there are things being accomplished by that team manager and those riders during yeah, they, those. They races. do not mess around. Nope. nope. And we had a TT, an uphill TT. It was twenty minutes. Uh, both is the climb, it's and it's a it's a popular climb in Wren County. And uh, you and I were not close to the top guys. (laughs) No, we were not. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't bad overall, but uh, in terms of like- We didn't
1: beat a single rider.
0: No, amongst the other folks, though. I'm saying just general folks. You know, fast, but against these guys.
1: Yeah, so- uh, Dear me uh, is intense. I did 367 for 24 minutes. Yeah. And uh, Jonathan beat me by 13 seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Jerk. (laughs) And then uh, I think we were like probably 25 seconds- Behind the first.
0: Behind the slowest guy on the team.
1: Yep. (laughs) Which is pretty gnarly. The first guy did incredible power, but kudos to our product manager, Brandon Need. Yes. uh, um, He was also there. He got third overall in the climb. Yeah. He did 350 for 19 minutes at 135 pounds. 135 pounds. (laughs) And uh, yeah, very, very, very fast. And triathlete. Yeah. I just like to throw that in every time.
0: It was pretty awesome. So it it was a, it was a good time. Uh, we learned a lot. We'll have some great takeaways on, on team camps and how to use those team camps, because a lot of you say, I've got this riding vacation coming up with my friends, or, um, I'm going to have this block of time where I can really train that sort of a thing. So, uh, we cover from a lot of different perspectives and you'll hear this in that podcast episode, what you can do to utilize that time and, and how that relates to your race goals, all that stuff. So,
1: uh, what do you want to cover next though? Okay. So let's go to the. Let's just compare and contrast Cliff yeah. Bar versus yeah. <laughs> uh Mark Pro. Okay. Mark Pro, uh Phil is like on it. Like yes. he's very not that Dylan from wasn't on it, but he is he's got a purpose. He wants people to go to bed early. Phil's a director of
2: Mark, Mark Pro. Yeah, sorry.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's a director of Mark Pro, been on the podcast before and is going to be on soon. Yep. He, he's very much like, We need to get these guys through. You need to get in bed. You need to sit down, get recovered, get your Mark Pro on, which is a recovery tool they use. If
0: see these guys standing up, he's like, Lay down, put on a Mark Pro. Yep. He's, you know, he's.
1: The food was all pre prepared by a Michelin star chef in yeah, the bowls. Yeah, Matt Acarino. Yeah, yeah. In
0: front, and he's he's an incredible cyclist himself. So, yeah. and he cooks for, uh, he's cooked for Hollowesco Citadel for Peter Sagan when he's in the region and everything. He's he's next level.
1: So, yeah, very very like they're still goofing around and taking funny pictures and stuff. Yeah, but more serious. And then on Cliff Bar, Cliff Bar's hugs, stories, <laughs> uh, like Alcohol. hanging out, staying up till midnight or one. Yep so much drinking like (laughs) it's bonding right yeah it's bonding that's
0: what they were going after and dylan the the team manager recognizes that value and that's what he's really trying to foster exactly so his goal is
1: bonding and he does a great job because it feels like bonding it feels Um, like a family yeah it does yep um mark pro they actually went and got body fat scans Mm -hmm. yeah exactly (laughs) mark pro or the cliff bar guys i said what would happen if we did that and they said the kind of the expletive you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would not happen yeah um at mark pro the entire camp there was one beer in the fridge yeah and it was from an ex cliff bar guy brought it
0: <laughs> and it's funny it doesn't mean like in the end that doesn't mean that one team is going to be more successful than another like it's just the team recognizes different needs and then they thusly fulfill
2: those so they have different names too, different types of races they yeah. they know what they're doing good point yeah yeah and yeah.
1: it's crit racing too right so they're doing Doing flat, fast races. Yeah, that's an yeah. Versus Mark Pro is doing hilly road races and like power to weight. Yeah, yeah. But it's yep. but mostly
0: road racing. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. One uh, one other thing that I noticed just talking with everybody and hanging out, Cliff Bar, they kind of like they start with tactics, mm-hmm. and they value tactics, especially in crit racing, over all else. Mm-hmm. Strongest guy doesn't win the race, right? It's it's tactics. You really want to put out the least amount of power. On Mark Pro, although I'm sure, and and then two on sorry going back on Cliff Bar, they have really strong people, right? Now that they're weak, like when I was okay. riding with them, man, they can attack so hard, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. from a high wattage, I was yeah. doing like 350, and this guy just like boom, just, just explodes away. Yeah, yeah. On Mark Pro, they also no tactics, but they're kind of like they come from power to weight, kind of like power and fitness is like kind of where they start. Yeah, and and being low body fat high watts yeah it's just interesting the the what the yeah, two great, teams greater of. emphasis on conditioning with yep. the, with the mark
2: pro team. And then it's, it's still clearly a conditioning is a concern with cliff bar, but they're, yep. they're more about team building or at least right now Yep. and tactics always. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, it's, I, I think that podcast will be really good. It's going to be a bit of a different style uh, for y'all too. So, so ch- check your feeds for that. It obviously won't be live. We already recorded the stuff. So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> uh, but check your feeds for that in the podcast.
1: Dudes, there's one more thing I have to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Priest. Yeah. So it's so, so over the course of cliff bars, uh, heavy uh, uh, alcohol uh, indulgence. <laughs> yes. So, on the like 10 o'clock at night on the last night. <laughs> and Pete, I asked Pete if he's going to wear the TR kit and our crits here. Pete Morris. Pete, Pete Morris. He works
0: for trainer road as a product manager, but you've seen him in different videos for cliff bar and for trainer road, everything else. He's, he's one of the main guys there at the cliff
1: bar team yep. accomplished racer, mm-hmm. um, quit racer. He, uh, he said that, you know, I got to wear the cliff bar stuff, but he's going to beat six trainer road people versus just him. At our local crit series here every Every time. Every time. Every single time he said it's impossible for uh, any of us to beat him. Impossible. 100% (laughs) chance that he will win. There is no scenario (laughs) that you win. And I'm the only one there. Jonathan's already gone. And uh, the entire Cliff Bar team is just like, yeah, there's no way. There's impossible. (laughs) So I came back to here and like we've got pro racers, right? And I'm a road like hill climbers rather than that. But we've got a pretty
2: stacked field. Um, we've got six very capable riders versus one very capable
1: rider <laughs> yeah and so <laughs> you do
2: the math
1: <laughs> I like that anyways yeah. the fire and smack talk like the 40ktT stuff this is 10x everything <laughs> that we've talked about it's yeah. getting
2: pretty it's getting pretty yeah. deep It started with Smack talk
1: yeah and so Pete too he just did the cherry pie crit. he did 406 normalized for 46 minutes. So pretty hard. Yeah, he's strong. <laughs> he's not short on power. That's
0: clear. No, that's for sure. It's good. so we're gonna take advantage of this though, to kind of to actually like develop some some strategy and some content and share mm-hmm. it with you guys about how David's the can take down the we going to
1: him, beat him. Yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah. it's gonna be good. So and, stay tuned for that.
2: And
1: Pete can listen and hear a strategy because really, if with with our strategy. It's impossible, right? It should be, <laughs> should be so, six
0: versus one. Better be.
1: And uh, Jonathan's gonna do a GoPro. I'm sending the Cliff Barber guys <laughs> after we beat him. We just gotta
0: beat him once. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, with all that, anything else we need to cover before we get into? Let's do it. All right. Let's get into Mark's question. He says, "I'm a four-year triathlete, but I like to do other sports also. I've ridden IceMan three years with moderate success. If those don't know IceMan, that's the race that I think I hear about that race more than any other from people riding in all the time. It's in Michigan, and it's a it's an endurance mountain bike race. IceMan cometh. Yes, that's the one." Um, so, anyways, it's it's a it's a very popular race down there. So he says he ri- he's ridden it with three years with moderate success. This year, I'm doing Leadville. I don't know where to start. I hear Leadville mentions on the podcast, but have you ever thought about doing a Leadville specific episode? So. We haven't really talked a lot, whole lot about Leadville, even though all three of us are planning on doing Leadville this year, Chad and I still have to qualify.
2: Right, and we do have a pretty extensive blog post on this very matter. We've,
0: yeah, absolutely. Good plug, Chad, oh. that's fantastic. Um <laughs> <Good> job, Chad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, but we haven't talked a whole lot about it here on the podcast this year, even though that's one of the main goals for us this yeah. year mm-hmm. because the 40K TT looms large in the foreground.
2: Yep. And it's not just a goal in, in the sense that we want to finish it, we actually are targeting a sub eight finishing time. Yeah. Are we all? Yeah. yeah
0: why I, not? Think, I think. We can, all I said we can go right. after it
2: we can go after it. it doesn't mean we'll get it but it's, it's a good you can goal do so mate yeah yep. cool. yeah it's a good goal looking at the numbers that Jonathan plotted out and we'll talk, we'll get to that it's it's a good goal
0: yeah. So, I mean, Leadville, I think everybody knows what Leadville is, but endurance mountain bike race, about a hundred miles, about 10,000 or nearly 11,000 feet of climbing. And it's definitely a, so the average elevation, I believe is 10,000 feet during the race. And you tip up toward 12,000, I believe, perhaps 14. a little over. Oh, so, yeah, I'm pretty sure 14. so high elevation stuff. Uh, and this is a huge, massive race. Qualifying is tough to get in. The lottery is really tough to get in. Uh, it's, it's, it's a whole deal. It's not a technical mountain bike race in terms of the terrain. Uh, It's not single tracky. It's not technical rocks or anything like that.
2: The necessary conditioning is more in line with a long road race, obviously a very long road race.
0: Absolutely. So when people talk about plans that they should – pick to follow, uh, to, to prepare for this, you know, base training. We usually recommend sweet spot base sustained power build is what I would recommend thereafter. And then if you're going to go into something from there, the 40 KTT plan, isn't a bad idea, mm-hmm. century. century, plan. century plan, yeah. yes. um,
2: anything that develops that focuses primarily on muscle endurance. I mean, you just got to mm-hmm. keep on it for a long time. Climbing
0: road race might not be a bad choice either. No, nah,
2: I don't think so. I don't think it's a good fit for this. There's, okay. there's a lot of, uh, um, there's a dynamic aspect to the, all the road race plans that you won't really ne-
1: need here. I don't think so. Gotcha. Chad, I was planning on doing the crit plan to smash me. The- <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know he's totally pulling you off course. But whatever. It's gonna be. I'm funny. serious about that too.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so the the thing is with a race, that's a hundred miles.
2: Uh, clearly, nutrition is a huge, huge. Yeah, and we're talking a hundred miles on the dirt too, with a fair amount mm-hmm. of, of elevation over the course of it, and at elevation. So. It's going to be a long
1: day. Can you put eight hours in perspective for for yeah. for Leadville?
0: Yeah. So most oh, yeah. people, yeah, because 100 miles, people are thinking, oh, that sounds yeah, really eight slow. Eight hours
1: is no automatic.
0: No, uh, it's it's pretty tough. A uh, very 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 few people go under eight hours in the grand scheme of things. Uh, the The average finish, I believe, at Leadville is somewhere around ten and a half to eleven hours. Uh, so you can see, and you get a, how difficult a special
2: big belt buckle for going under nine
0: under nine. Then you get a special one. I think we're going under eight. Uh, the fastest time I think ever maybe was just under six hours, which is insane. And I, I believe did. that was by Howard Gratz last year. So, um, I could be wrong on that in terms of like, if that was the fastest ever, but the, the, the top guys are, are really fast, but Todd Wells last year, uh, he's retired now, but when he did it, he had very small arrow bars on his mountain bike. Uh, they do things like they use shoe covers, they have aero helmets, not like a full TT helmet, but they have an aero road helmet, skin suits. uh, skin suits, they'll have road pedals and road shoes. That sort of a thing mm-hmm. to really try to focus on efficiency first and an aerodynamic efficiency before you go deeper into that. So with this, it's kind of like, a. I think that Leadville in many respects is more similar to a road race than it is a mountain bike race. And something that, that we're planning on doing with this is we're planning on using skin suits. Mm-hmm. We're planning on using aero road helmets. Mm-hmm. We're doing all of that stuff. Wax chains there for sure.
2: Aero bars, anybody? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm thinking of doing something at least. If it's not going to be like a little bit in front there, to like aero bars to hold on to, at least some padding or a different hand position yeah.
1: to help me get a little more aero. I'll experiment. I know that it's, it's just uncomfortable too. Yeah, yeah. But maybe if it's because there's a road section, yeah, right? especially totally. there's not a whole lot of
2: hand positions. You can't, it's not like drop bars where you can put them in at least three different places. Yeah. 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 Road,
0: you know, with road stuff, it's, or with, with getting into those aero positions, once again, on a mountain bike, you have to make sure that that's something that you can sustain and it will be an imperfect surface. There there's road, but there's a lot of dirt sections where it would really benefit you just dirt road to get into that aero position. So you have to make sure that it's not just like a precariously perched position, but one that you can sustain and have some control. So, it's kind of a tricky balance. Um, putting it back, but I drifted from your question. Yeah. Putting it back into perspective for all of us, for for uh, let's start with Chad. For Chad, for you
2: to do eight hours. Yeah, and we gotta take into account our body weight or our anticipated body weight
0: yeah we use best bike split for this and i actually used eldon nelson a aka the fat cyclist i used his eight hours and eight minutes time oh I just so it. close uh, which is a really impressive time that he had i used that one and i worked backwards on best bike split in a very unscientific manner <laughs> but i i think that this might get us close and i basically worked backwards and i asked him for a lot of data to make sure that i could adjust the rolling resistance, the mechanical loss, and then the CDA to a point where I could replicate the time that he did for the wattage that he did everything else. So, and then I used that and applied it for us. So it's probably close, but might not be spot on for you, Chad, for you to go sub eight, just under eight, you would have to do an average power of 224 and a normalize for 234 for that long. Uh, then Nate, you're practically exactly the same. Uh, Because our
2: weight's going to be within a couple pounds of one another. Yep,
0: really close. And for me, it's only, I have to do average power of 192 and then a normalized power of 200 watts. Um, So looking at that, that doesn't sound like it's that tough. But when you're, keep in mind your average 10,000 foot elevation, Mm -hmm. that's going to get really tough. Uh, And for
2: eight hours. Yeah, this isn't just a four or five hour century. It's a
1: full work day. A 345 uh, FTP, that's still 234.67. It's pretty pretty rough man. Yeah, 0.67 intensity factor for oh, for that's 9 hard. hour or for 8 hours is that's a lot. Like yeah. no no
2: this it, like I said it's a lofty goal. It's not one that's guaranteed at all. We're going to
1: have to work for it. Yeah. But it's not unattainable. For me to be so. at like 345 to there, I have to go into it at like 365. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then be conditioned to do that long stuff and then nail my nutrition.
2: Timing-wise, yeah. though this this lines up. I mean, considering what we're t- what we should mm-hmm. bring into the forty ktt, the gap between the forty ktt and this, it, it does work out. That's why I'm optimistic.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking after the forty ktt plan. Or wh- what are you thinking actually on your on the training, Chad? What would you do in an ideal? Honestly, stretch?
2: I haven't given that much thought. Don't put me on the spot. Because <laughs> <laughs> so we say, have about
0: three months between that, that and then then Leadville. So we have three months of time where we'll have built up to a peak for a forty ktt, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of reset from there. I'm thinking that I'm just going back to the drawing board and working on more stuff. Well, that's the thing. It, get,
2: it gets complex for us because we have a lot of other things mm-hmm. and, and they don't
0: commingle too well. Especially your crit training. I'm going to do two crit plans in a row. <laughs> yeah, see. So it's I'm going to
2: have to play it by ear at that point, too, depending on what's more important. Yeah,
1: you know what, it too? It's after that 40K TT, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to say, what is my fire burning my belly more? Is it to really like, yeah. and it, yeah, yeah. it's a good advice for people. Like, should I go, am I really want to do an, Sub nine. I really just got want to do sub to nine at Yeah. Yep. Or do I want to do Pete? And and it's, they're not going to be or yeah. beat Pete. Yeah. Is beat that Pete. Bad? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not the same. Uh, they're totally different energy systems. And although I probably both will make me a faster cyclist, I won't be as fast as I could be if I specialized in one for one of those races.
0: Yeah, yeah that's a good point. So it's, we're going to be talking a lot about Leadville as the summer comes closer. And if anybody is doing Leadville, uh, like we (coughs) said the the recommended plan progression, we really think sustained power builds a good idea. And then we really think that going through and doing the 40 KTT plan or the century plan, that could be a great, uh, great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, the one thing I just keep reminding myself even now about Leadville is just don't cross that line, uh, when you're up at 10,000 feet. And if you go push too hard too early, that sort of a thing, you pay dearly for that. It's and then it, it can be the eight type hour, thing that you just don't recover from.
1: Eight hour race in general. Like, yeah, you think about an Ironman. That's what it. That's what it feels to me like. A yeah. an Ironman. Sure. But little, little less than Ironman, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty darn tough. Uh, and but it's going to be cool to check that off the list and then go firsthand with through a lot of what you already have gone through. The people listening to this, so um, it should help us be better prepared. What about
1: you're going to do a uh, hardtail, right? Hardtail mountain bike, mm-hmm. canyon. Yep. I'm going to be on my uh specialized epic, mm-hmm. and you'll be on a sweet yeti. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Okay. So that's you're going to be full suspension, <laughs> sweet yeti. Yeah. Hardtail. hardtail. Yep. Full suspension. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Because that's the that's one question people always have is, should totally. I do a hardtail or full suspension? And, and it's
0: interesting. I, I would think that the best bike would be an extremely efficient full suspension because they're when you think about the micro bumps and undulations that you go over, those start mm-hmm. to add up in fatigue and stopping your momentum. Where with a full suspension, you'd be able to soak those up. That said, most full suspension bikes are not as efficient and they just don't get as close and to. That being been as a efficient. Hard sale with
2: high volume so, tires.
0: Yeah. It could be a good option. Um, See, yeah. So. And, well, the, and the wo- other thing is higher volume tires in a lot of cases, not all, not all, but if you pick the right tires and the right rim width, you can get away with less rolling resistance that way, or at least assumed less rolling resistance. I can't say it's proven. So that could help, but weight is one thing where on this race, it matters a lot because there are really yeah. long climbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, especially
2: if you're carrying a fair amount of body weight into the event.
0: Yeah. So you're really trying to, you're not looking to get a really knobby tire for traction. In this case, you're really looking to get a tire that rolls fast and that isn't going to be too heavy. But once again, I mean, it's a hundred mile day. That's a lot of terrain to cover. That's plenty of rocks that could slash a sidewall. So you have to count on that too.
1: And on this race, Chad, uh, the the winner has been on a hardtail some years and some years full suspension. Mm, yeah. So it's not that one is, sure. it's not that it's like, you know, every year. There's no obvious bet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think in just the past two, maybe three years since suspension has really stepped up in terms of their, their the valving and everything else, they've gotten much better at locking out, like locking fully out, which, is, which can help with that efficiency side of things for a full suspension bike. Whereas in the past, even though you had a lockout, it still had some squish and some loss. Um, Chad's lockout,
2: so. On on a, I'm a is, fork is on the serious. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So on the road, section, it's like a rigid fork. Out
0: and- yeah. And, and, you know, locking out a fork, I just want to cover that really quick. I think that locking out a fork makes sense. If you're out of the saddle, it makes sense. If you're going through, um, a bunch of bumps and you feel like you can maintain momentum with it locked out. But in most cases, if you have a bumpy surface, that fork being unlocked can help you maintain more momentum. It isn't necessarily faster. Uh, if you think about it, you, you you're putting that weight and that the everything through the rear wheel. Uh, So when you lock the front, I I would just lock the front if I'm out of the saddle. Otherwise, I would probably just have it What about asphalt road? Even then, I would, unless it's perfectly smooth. Yeah, 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 but it's perfect. Like if If it's it's a street, you would lock it. Yeah, Yeah, um, but even, yeah. So you're talking about
2: negating the vertical oscillation. Exactly right.
0: Yeah, Yeah, because there are situations where even on a smooth road, but let's say it has like a crack every 10, like a substantial crack every, you know, every so often, that sort of a thing. If you unlock that fork, that might even be faster, right? Mm -hmm. Because it allows you to maintain more that I have hundred
1: miles to do. So yeah. unlocked fork on California roads. Yeah, exactly. Those yeah. things are horrible. Those
0: things are worse than single tracks so sometimes. <laughs> uh, let's get into Tomo's question. He says, Hey guys, I'm a recreational mountain bike rider and I want to improve my sprint speed and power specifically on short uphill sections. Can you advise a course of action I could take? Thanks from Tomo. Short question.
2: Yeah, so Tomo, since you didn't specify the actual duration of these short uphill stretches, um, let's look at it in three different contexts. Uh, first is like an actual sprint, which is anything that lasts maybe up to 30 seconds. I mean, a lot of people can't sprint full out for 30 seconds. That's something that has to be cultivated. So it's it's not really a sprint at 30 seconds. You know, typically it's more like 10 to 20 seconds. but going to assume that's not what you're talking about. Or you're looking about something longer than that. If it were, that's that's something we've addressed in the past where you, you do it with stomps and you do it with real high force repetitions in a big gear, Yeah, wind it up, learn how to generate speed uh, or learn how to generate power at, at a really slow, low cadence.
0: Something that I want to add to that really quick is the, the courses that I see with that are a lot of the time if you have short track cross-country courses, yeah. mm-hmm. this year, Eliminator Cross Country is coming back at the World Cup level. I know that applies to very few of us, <laughs> but <laughs> I could see that genre catching on uh, sure. because it's like it doesn't require a lot of terrain. It can be done in a short area and it'd be fun like four guys head to head and it's like bracket oh, yeah, basic, totally. basically. And
2: in that case something actually cultivating a true sprint mm-hmm. would be useful. for
0: sure. Yeah and I think of like a, a course where this is pretty helpful is a course like a Benelli which may be the Olympic course when LA has the Olympics. It's down in LA. It's, it's a very popular race venue because the Pro XCT series has gone to it year after year after year for quite some time now. But that course has has just steep little, like I'd say 10 or like 15 to 30 second climbs over and over and over and over. It's like you, seven or eight of and them. I'm
2: guessing lap. the fast guys really get after each one of them. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's, I, it's amazing to see what they can do. Right. So, so, um, so yeah, I guess that there is probably some situations where this is there, but like you said,
2: it's probably less likely. It's probably a little more sustainable. In his question, if he's talking about short uphill sections, I'm going to assume he means longer than 30 seconds. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then it comes down to, you know, is this an anaerobic effort or a VO2 max effort? And, mm-hmm. and, and as always, there's not like like a discrete switch between those two, they blend into one another. But I, in most coaches, most people limit it to, to anything under two minutes is going to be primary, primarily anaerobically driven. I mean, actually mm-hmm. it becomes increasingly aerobic once you're over like, I think 70 seconds, but let's not mm-hmm. split hairs. Let's just say if it's under two minutes, we're going to focus on anaerobic conditioning. If it's over, we're going to focus more on VO2 max conditioning. Awesome. And it's really that simple. So then you just choose a plan that has a you know preponderance of those sort of, sort of, uh, uh, specialized workouts. So this is stuff you're going to encounter to a lesser extent in your build plans and to a greater extent in your specialty plan. So look for something that has something that replicates whatever those durations you need are. If you know, these are, you know, one or two minutes, then look for something that's heavy on the anaerobic side. Uh, anything that's longer in a couple minutes, three minutes, four minutes, look for something that's heavy on the VO2 max work.
1: Mm-hmm. Jonathan. So if Tomo is a recreational mountain bike rider doing those short hill climbs, mm-hmm how maybe Tomo's really getting out of the saddle mm-hmm. pumping. Let's go back to the last question. Mm-hmm. Might not be on the most efficient bike. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Could that be a big problem too?
0: Yeah, I've seen that a lot. You know, people get out of the saddle and they hammer and their bike is soaking up a lot so of that energy, up, yeah. you know?
1: Um, yeah, especially if, you're, if you have like a trail bike, right, rather than a cross-country race bike.
0: Yeah, and and uh, bev- I'm going to get technical on this one in just a bit, but getting, getting back to that, I think that – I think that a lot of people, when you see those climbs, don't be afraid to use a lockout. I know this is just marketing speak from rock shocks, but when they had that dual, it's called the full, it's the X lock full sprint, something like that full sprint X lock. And it's the one plunger and it locks out front and rear. And they said kind of in a quirky way in their marketing for it. They're like, we are using this more than our dropper post and even more than our shifter a lot of the times. And I think that that's a good idea. If you have a lockout with a lever on your bars and you have a bike, that is prone to bobbing, then you should use that thing regularly, but go in and out don't, that doesn't mean just stay locked, Mm. you know, use it intelligently. If it's a really bumpy climb, sacrifice a bit of efficiency in terms of being Bobby to be able to keep traction on the ground. Right. And it's maybe some forward momentum. So you always want to try to weigh those, those pros and cons. Like we were just talking about with the fork being locked out, but this is stepping back from this a bit. This is why I think. Cross-country riders should favor designs with high anti-squat An anti-squat is, is a characteristic that can be designed into rear suspension. That basically means that the bike sits higher in its travel when you sit on it and it likes to sit higher. It doesn't like to sink in and kind of settle. It likes to stay high, uh, for a cross-country that can be extremely helpful because you get greater resistance in most cases to pushing through and getting into a soft, less stable spot where it soaks up a lot of energy, Hmm. um, I very rarely actually lock out my bike on my ASR. Uh, it's, and that one just has a standard single pivot, kind of an old school design, but it actually has a a pretty good amount of anti-squat for being a single pivot design. So I never, I don't feel like I have to lock it out. I, in fact, I, the only time I do is if I'm on road. Hmm. So, uh, and that's because it stays high. If I pedal and I throw some weight into it, it doesn't feel like it's soaking it up. So when you look at bikes, I would, I would look online and and try to research which bikes have low anti-squat values. And that is, I think a great characteristic of a cross-country
1: bike. So if someone does have a trail bike, Mm -hmm. could a, could a great upgrade to race be a lockout?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can help uh, massively. The The tricky thing about that is in most cases, you're really going to want to lock out the rear there. That's what we're probably talking about. And usually the shock comes with the lockout or you have to buy a different shock mm. altogether to get that. It can be done. And I would recommend looking at used markets in that case because you can find people pulling a shock off a bike and selling it brand new that might have that. But it's not as simple as just tossing a lockout on, unfortunately. Usually it's a, it's a different shock.
1: So. so if they are, Chad, mm-hmm. doing... Anaerobic. And I just, I'm thinking back to my last race, lots of steep, short. 50% 50% grade yeah. Yeah, for and that's, five seconds. Yeah, that's what I getting to.
2: So in terms of the conditioning, you look at the, just look at any of the specialized workouts in the, any of the mountain bike clients really. And you see a blend of two things. One is anaerobic repeats with a fair amount of recovery in between them. So that each one of them is meaningful. You're not just trying to grind yourself down with hard repeat right after hard repeat, right after hard repeat. Rather, you're trying to dole out a whole lot of power, rest well enough so that you can dole out a whole lot of power again and again over the course of a workout. Mm-hmm. So that you can build your capacity for these anaerobic bursts. Yeah. Then you'll see probably later in the week, maybe later in the plan efforts where you start to string those together a little more closely. So it gets a little more close to the demands of what Nate's describing, actual race demands where you have to be able to put out high power, don't get a whole lot of recovery. Then you got to do it again. Mm -hmm. So, so, so it becomes a little more about repeatable power, less about capacity.
0: When I think of cross country racers or crit racers even have like similar demands in that respect, Absolutely, there's a a ton of overlap. overlap. Yep. Um, I, 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 see low hanging fruit that's passed by many times by these type of racers and what they do is they, they focus on the work intervals and they get those done, mm-hmm. but then they're lenient with their rest intervals. And I think that when, with this type of racing specifically, it's, and I, I say rest, I, I mean, just, uh, the periods in between the really hard hits. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think that if you let that duration slide. Uh, and don't get me wrong, you know, if you're too tired to do it, but if you let that duration slide or perhaps, you know, it's holding you at a specific wattage and you're like, uh, it's, it's, it's not a work interval. I can drop it down. I feel like that's a spot where it's low hanging fruit that if you can really be diligent with your rest intervals, just mm-hmm. as with your work intervals, yeah, honestly, I wouldn't even a concern
2: lot. at some point, just, just stop worrying about capacity. W- worry about how well you can repeat these things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, again, it's a matter of specialization or, you know, in, 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 uh, coaching ease, it's uh specificity i mean it has to be super specific to what you're going to do out there or something's just not going to carry as well as you'd like it to
1: so what you're saying is rather than focusing on keep raising my wattage at 30 Mm -hmm. seconds yeah how many times could i do Mm -hmm. that same wattage can i do it seven can I do it eight can i do it 12 yeah yeah so so maybe can i put those together maybe you're concerned
2: with 20 second power for a while get your 20 second power as high as you can get it and i mean there will come a point where you're fighting for gains that just aren't worth the effort yeah when you recognize that if you recognize that then you got to realize so i got my two minute power up to x x watts now i want to be able to do x minus x watts 30 times for 10 seconds with short little rests in between Mm -hmm. because i know these are the demands of the
1: races i'm going to do and especially for mountain bike racing i think that is the key is the repeatability oh Oh, it absolutely is where crit might be you might just want maximum two minute power Mm -hmm. i mean maybe depends on how you're gonna race it exactly Mm -hmm. yeah I'm just thinking about, I've been thinking about crits for, <laughs> to Going back to Cliff Bar. Yeah. When we had this conversation, we literally talked for 90 minutes going through all the scenarios that we could throw at Pete. Yeah. Uh, and and we we'll so
2: We still couldn't pull it off.
1: No, no. We, there was one scenario. <laughs> Can we just talk about it right now real quick? Sure. It, yeah. yeah. The one scenario that if we do this, execute this right, is we pretty much attack one after the other. So yeah. one, one guy goes off, Pete has to cover. And if while Pete covers and we cover him and the reason he has to cover
0: is it's because six guys. he cannot it's impossible for him to lose to even one of us so exactly to, and this, to, yeah. yeah it's a team effort yeah. the
1: team yeah. wins mm-hmm.
2: trainer road wins i can't say i can't think of any rider peter sagan included who can go out and beat six <laughs> nearly not nearly strong but like even if we're like 75% as strong as him 75%
1: these guys are 75% as strong as sagan six of them can't beat him no yeah. right I, so I get what you mean yeah. the key to this though is when when so we have to then follow Pete, right, and bring up everyone else fresh. We just counter, counter, counter. And then as soon as it gets close, before Pete lets up on the gas, that's, that's the next person goes. You don't wait till it's all back together. Yep. To counter. Well, you yeah. don't see, and they said. Um, I don't think they think our tactical experience is that well that we're going to work as a team. And maybe <laughs> we're not. We're going to work better. But if we let the field come back and wait for 15, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, we don't like even it is wait a rest it, interval. We don't even we wait, wait till it touches back together. No. Exactly. And that, that's again. A, it's just like the workout, right? Like in the workout, <laughs> yeah. you might have 20 seconds rest and you can do – Thirty, of quite them, a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you try to put all that thirty into one block, yeah. mm-hmm. you can't. There's, it's humanly impossible. Wow, that's that's the nature of intervals. That's why we do intervals. F- I know, but so we're not going to give <laughs> Pete intervals. We're going to give him one sustained block at seven thousand percent FTP. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: And so, and that's actually a common thing that I hear with a lot of people writing in on their questions about micro They say I'm fine through the first, how, however many, but then I hit a point where I can't go anymore. Mm-hmm. And I have to either skip one, or I have to just backpedal for a bit, and then go at it again.
2: And that's a capacity of a different nature, but it's still something you can grow.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's what you're trying to do, basically. When you when you that tactical option is, you're basically trying to shrink those or get them to the per, get them to the point where they may think they'd be able to they can sustain that five second break in between efforts, whatever it is. But then if that happens time after time, after time, it gets pretty tough.
2: So Pete's a strong guy. He's a smart guy. He's a tough guy, but, uh, I just, I mean, there are human boundaries that he just can't exceed. <laughs> we'll see. Um,
0: so, uh, Anyways, with the mountain bike stuff and just going back with that, I, I just recommend, like you mentioned, pick a plan uh, that, that represents that the, the, the cross-country Olympic plan is awesome for that. The short track plan is yeah, good you know, for that.
2: And something we didn't mention with, uh, Leadville is a cross-country marathon plan. So if you really did want to approach this as a mountain bike race, that would be the, the closest fit other than sustained or, uh, 40 k or century or century.
0: Good plug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that. Awesome. Uh, Jerry says I've been using trainer road for about one and a half years and find it the best thing for me to stay in shape. I especially like that. You let me find my own entertainment and music rather than forcing (laughs) your choices on me, like so many other apps.
1: (laughs) Good man, Jerry. Thank you.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a very conscious choice of ours. Like we. It, we all have different tastes, and we get that, so we don't want to force it on you. You know, you, I, you you can, and we want to design things so that you can bring whatever you want. Like that's that's like it's 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 designed that way. You
1: guys so. have those playlists you put up, the, the trainer. I don't like your guys' playlists. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't just expect people to. Yeah. That's, that's exactly, it's different, it. right? Yeah. It's like yeah. art or whatever. Yeah, yeah right. like, like exactly. That was the
2: biggest nightmare of the bike classes, and that was seven other riders, <laughs> and it could never make it work. Yeah, Chad, yeah could you exactly. pick another song, please? Change <laughs> yeah. song. It's
0: ruining my watts. He says in the last podcast, Chad mentioned a problem with taking salt tablets. I think he said something about there being a problem with the chloride. Could you explain this further? I asked because I often, I add a mixture of sodium chloride and potassium chloride to fruit juice or peach tea for something different to drink on a ride for the trainer. Should I avoid this? Thanks for all the good information on the podcast. the you know, well,
2: first thing to ask yourself is if you're experiencing any form of gastric distress. Mm-hmm. So if not, maybe it's not an issue for you. But in most people's case, um, we, we, the concern is with sweat loss, electrolyte loss, right? It's not just water coming out. We're losing mm-hmm. electrolytes, and those are harder to replenish than water. It's a more conscious act. Um, the Primarily what we lose, about 90% of the electrolytes we lose in sweat mm-hmm. is sodium chloride. But the sodium is, is the big aspect of that. We don't lose chloride at the same rate, or if we do, we don't need to replace it at the same rate. But the fact is, if you are replacing it at the same rate, you need the sodium, you don't need all that chloride, so this creates a chloride excess. Gotcha. And, and that, that creates a host of reasons. And um, Stacy Sims in particular describes it as, as interfering with the membrane potential of our intestinal cells. Hmm. And what, what happens then is those cells open up, they release endotoxins, and we get severe water flux, put more blatantly, it's diarrhea. And in some cases, depending on the amount of chloride excess, severe diarrhea that can mm-hmm. be a, a real game changer in terms of workouts, certainly
1: races. Wait, um, so if you take too much calcium, you can chloride. get di- chloride, chloride. Sorry, chloride. <laughs> you can get diarrhea. Yeah, because I always in all my long races at the very end of my triathlons, salt tablets. I'd get diarrhea. Salt tablets. Because I was taking salt, salt tablets. Salt
2: tablets, and I mean there's there's all, all forms of stress on the body and the heat. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of stuff but going I, I on. Think. I was but taking salt tablets.
1: And then most so, most long course triathletes, so many, ultra distance do. I've lost to a, a friend. It's all all my races are always friend <laughs> versus friend. Yeah, but by seven seconds, and I had like two minutes in the porta potty from. <laughs> oh man! I, I, yeah, I, there you uh, go. And you weren't you the only one in there. Opened up my eyes. <laughs> and, okay, so so scratch laps for this very reason
2: uses sodium citrate, mm. and they do it for a number of reasons. Actually, the least of which, or not the least of which, is is that it's a lot easier on the gut.
0: Mm. That makes sense. And that's what I've... So I've found, and I don't know if that's exactly what, what causes it to be easier on my gut or doesn't cause problems with me, but I've noticed that when I switched away from all other things and I went to Scratch Labs, that mm-hmm. it, it was effective at not making me sick. Yeah, it's that a, was good enough for me. I mean, right? I
2: mean even if it's just a, a, a fluid replacement, mm-hmm. whatever kind, as long as it doesn't heap in the the chloride at the same rate as it's re- replenishing the sodium. I mean, basically... These, these drinks are focused on restoring sodium levels along with – well,
1: it goes hand in hand with hydration. I have another plug. Hmm. Um, Cliff Bar doesn't give us any money or anything. No.
0: Right? No, they don't.
1: But at the at the camp, they had these like little packets. That were like, or, they were like food, almost like what we'd give to your kid. Mm-hmm. And they had a mix of – there was one with like sweet potatoes, one with applesauce and quinoa. Hmm. And they're made to be used during the ride. I had them during the ride and it was –
0: yeah, like the little the sauce packets. Yeah. They're awesome. They're awesome.
1: Slower-burning carbohydrate. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it would be great, too, on the trainer because sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't want to eat... Yeah. Right. Choose all the time. But those it's like, oh, I'm eating applesauce and quinoa. Like they have like a
0: banana mango coconut one. Yeah. I think that is like life-changing. I could just yeah. drink that stuff. I'd like <laughs> it's, to, it's I'm actually gonna,
1: good. Um, <laughs> we need to get some. We'd like to experiment to see if yeah. I get the same. Cause that's my only concern is that it's not quick burning enough sure. for while your workout. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that and I, I can't remember which uh, listener it was, but a few weeks back talked about toast and jam prior to the yeah. ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we, t- we informed him, you know, do it like literally as you're sitting on the bike warming up. I've been doing that very thing lately. Hmm. No gastric distress whatsoever. I mean, no digestive issues at all, and I feel really good for the first half of my workout, and then I get on top of the nutrition for the latter half of it, and it's all panning out quite well. <laughs> uh, one
1: more gastric distress thing. Yeah, yeah. Um. We didn't mention this, but on Sunday we rode with the founder of Cliff Bar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a seven flat ride, very long, but at the before the end, we stopped at his like wine restaurant thing. <laughs> There's a big table laid out. Boy, we felt like rock stars. <laughs> yeah. And the Cliff Bar guys, I swear some of them drink a bottle of wine each. <laughs> uh, and then we had a 40-minute climb afterwards. So that's my kind of cycling theme right there. Uh, this guy Jazz, on the climb, he stopped and threw up twice. <laughs>
2: Boot and rally. That's... Yes, exactly. Um, and success. still,
1: I was going hard because I was trying to beat, beat up the climb, which yeah. I did. Yeah. And uh, at the top, I then rode with some other really strong guys. Yeah. They were kind of drunk, and they still <laughs> dropped. Me. Like, just it's just amazing how strong, yeah, uh, strong they are. Strong riders, yeah. man.
0: Uh, let's go into Connor's question. He says, can I peak twice in one year using trend roads plans? I have an Olympic triathlon early in May, and then I have an half Ironman in late August. I would like to be competitive in both. So I'm wondering, can I peak for both since they are fairly spread out? And if so, what would the best strategy to, uh, be to do so? And, but before we get into this, this is one of the most common questions we get is, is I've got two races. How do I peak between them? You can go onto our blog and we actually have multiple posts where we've actually laid out how to, whether it's peak twice in one season or how to train between peaks, you can look that up on the blog and you can find out, um, some, some really applicable information that could help you on that. But Mm -hmm. we figured it was worth revisiting again. So,
2: yeah. So you can absolutely peak twice a season. I've seen plenty of athletes. Um, maybe they don't do it as well as they could, um, peak three times in a season. And given we're not talking about ultimate fitness three times, we're talking about bringing your fitness to a head, performing well for an event, Seeing a downturn and then bringing it up to a head again, mm-hmm. repeating. Sometimes you can get away with that three times. I don't typically recommend it. I think that's a bit, a bit much. Um, a couple times though is is very reasonable, especially in, in the situation you're describing here. You've got at least twelve weeks, probably more, like fourteen weeks, in between. That's plenty of time to. To peak twice. Um, one thing, probably the first thing to to consider is the priority of your peaks. Again, you're not going to be ultimate fitness each time. So which of those two peaks is more important to you? You know, play your cards accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of riders, uh, a lot of high level riders peak for nationals and then they go into a downturn and then they peak for worlds sort of thing. So you can bet they're trying to bring a higher level of fitness to that second peak. Mm-hmm. And, and they train accordingly. If you know, for instance, say you have a lot of stats to base this decision on, if you know that typically you hit 110 CTL, your training stre- your, you can ramp your training stress up to 110, and that's about where you perform your best. After that, you start to deteriorate. You just can't high, uh, maintain a higher training load. Mm-hmm. You would plan that for the more important peak.
1: Six weeks average training stress of 110.
2: Yeah, yeah Yes. yeah. Yep. Sorry to throw the terms, uh, acronyms. hmm So, so, but if you know, if you have the data to say, you know, I know how much training stress I can handle before things start to fall apart, then you're going to time things dependent upon that. If you don't, well, you kind of have to accumulate that. So there's quite a lot of trial and error that's that's going to go into it. Um, One thing I will say is that base conditioning is always necessary. Yeah. If you only bring one thing to the table. To to your event, obviously you're not going to be at peak fitness if you do this, but it's got to be your base fitness. Mm -hmm. After that, it's simply about building fitness. Whether or not you choose to specialize that fitness to further it a bit, to hone it, Mm -hmm. is up to you. But you could simply have good base fitness, build toward a peak, take a break, build again toward a peak, take a break, without ever really specializing. Mm -hmm. Might not lead you to your peak fitness, but it can allow you to peak
1: multiple times in a year. I like that approach too. When you think about, I want to really be fast in four years too. Mm-hmm. Right, like oh, you yeah, just yeah. you just build yeah, longer-term picture for yep. sure,
0: and I think of like your racing that you usually do in a year. It's road racing mountain bike racing, cross racing, and possibly triathlon, right? Like you, you race year round. Mm -hmm. So since, and I guess we all do now. Um, And when you get
2: (laughs) multidisciplined like that, I mean, you have to, again, prioritize which peak matters the most because you can't build four to Mm -hmm. four or five different types of fitness and have them all peak at just the right time. It's a pretty unrealistic approach.
0: Yeah. And I, I've actually found great success in this, in, in, in building up for, and it's not, not the, the peak, but building up and, and peaking the fitness that I currently have and then resetting for that, I find that it, builds me with, or builds up a lot of confidence too, if, mm-hmm. Is as long as like I, I do things properly and I stick to the plan. If I stick to the plan, then I can get to a point where, you know, I'll get out of base conditioning and then I'll go into this race and, and I'll ramp things up a bit well, and specialize. And if your season accommodates well. that you
2: can do, you can hit that first peak and that's that's now your new base. You're going to mm-hmm. come down a little bit because you're going to back off, back things off a bit, allow your body to recover, allow your mind to, to, to reset. Mm-hmm. But then you, that's your new base. You're working upward from there. So that second peak should theoretically be higher. Mm-hmm. A lot of right however, plan a single peak, and then they find something later on that they try to re-peak for. Not going to be as high as a peak, but it can still be
1: a relative peak. Yep. Uh, for us, are you guys, because this is almost the exact May and August yep. for our mm-hmm. 40K TT and, and for Leadville, Leadville. Yep. is that going to be the two peaks for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yep. It is for it me, is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And then,
2: you know, maybe if I, for whatever reason, get the cyclocross bug again, I might try to bring it back up, but I know it's not going to be mm-hmm. full-fledged yeah. peak. And in the fall
1: too for training road, we're like, we travel a ton, so it's going to work perfect because after August, that's when travel starts Mm -hmm. Yep. kind of have a little downturn. That's really our off season is the fall Yeah. and then we can pick it back up for cross.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a hectic time. So really if I can get those two peaks out of the way and up into August after that, I'm ready to sail on whatever I got. So Mm
2: Yeah, but based on that, Connor, with your 12 to 14 week gap, that leaves enough time for at least a full eight week build phase. Mm-hmm. What you do beyond that is up to you. It all depends on how much time you take off, how much fitness you lose. You might simply build toward that event, maybe a build and a half or build and start four weeks of your specialty plan. Maybe just build for four weeks and then do eight weeks of a specialty plan. You have a lot of options. The point is you don't need to repeat base. Uh, if you if you carried a lot of fitness into that first peak, all, all the base constituents are there. You're good. Mm-hmm. Move on to build and specialty combinations.
0: Let's get into Eric's question. He says, uh, hey guys, love the podcast, five stars. He says, I'll follow Chad and Jonathan on Strava if you answer my question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he says, currently I only follow Nate because he's always asking for more followers.
2: Because <laughs> he begs for it. Yeah, it's true yeah, It's story. a marketing effort. That's <laughs> <laughs> how he rationalizes it, yeah.
0: He says, I just finished week six of the low volume half Ironman plan. That's uh, one of our training plans. It's the, the, the specialty plan, the half Ironman plan. We have base and build plans too for each distance and triathlon. But he says, the workouts Were challenging for me to start the week. I had to bail towards the end of mills and mills is one of our workouts. And I had to cut Trey mountain short as dad duties called. I get that now I I didn't really get that before. I really get that now dad duties, messing up workouts. So he says the workout was also very challenging, uh, but I still felt good about my efforts. I'm also following your running program and swimming when I have time. I'm finding when I get to the weekend, I'm pretty beat. For example, this week I had to move, I had to move Phoenix, which is another one of our workouts to Sunday and had to work out on Saturday or because he had to work on Saturday and even with the day off, I found I couldn't complete the workout. I probably could have carried on longer than 26 minutes, but it was feeling so difficult, I figured I should cut my losses. This has happened to me in past weeks as well. So I've got a few questions. Number one, when I'm feeling this uh, this way at the end of the week, should I seek out a recovery ride instead of a prescribed workout?
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe. May it's, it's, this is something you, again, ha, there's, there's always a certain level of trial and error involved. Uh, we are supposed to get increasingly fatigued as the week goes, working towards our eventual recovery day, um, assuming that recovery day is going to be enough. And that's kind of what draws the line. If your recovery day is enough, then you know you probably didn't do too much during the preceding week. But if you find that that single recovery day doesn't get you into a productive place come Tuesday, well, it wasn't. So so maybe taking one of those workouts, toning it down a bit will leave you a little better off for the next week. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a, a balance that's an endless, endless uh, trial and error process.
1: And are the plans, they're meant to be adjusted, right?
2: Yeah, they're, they're always flexible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things, I mean, the, the, the key workouts, the Tuesday, Thursday, the Saturday, try not to divert people away from those, but everything else is, is far more flexible than even those. Yeah. And those, those maintain a certain, uh, certain level of flexibility as well. But you know, fatigue is part of the process. So you have to recognize when that fatigue's productive and when it's destructive, when it puts you in a place that it takes you too long to come back and you're costing yourself fitness in the process of recovery.
1: That is, how do you figure that out?
2: Again, trial and error, and it doesn't have to be. You don't have to like hit the statistics and and, and map your CTL and your ATL and all these all these mm-hmm. you know yeah, all yeah. these all this technical stuff. It doesn't have to be that. Pay attention to again. This is just as simple as what I just said. Did Monday get me to a point where Tuesday or Tuesday evening, and that's another fix. Take that Tuesday morning bumps to Tuesday night. It might just be a question of another twelve hours of recovery. Given that it's not like this brutal work day that mm-hmm. wipes you out even further. So you kind of have to play with it. And and the sad fact of the matter is, it's not gonna be the same thing week to week to week. As you go through you know, week one, it's easier to rally from. Week two, a little tougher. Week three, really tough. Then on top of it, what happened off the bike? So it's not always a, well, I, I could could do this last week. Why can't I do it this week? Or this is week one and, and I got through week three. Why can't I get through week one? Well, maybe you had a really brutal day or a brutal couple of days or the
1: different types of workouts are taking a different form, of st- different toll on you. I've found that recently I've gotten good at this. Like Mm -hmm. before, I used to be Eric just like you, like all the time. And I look back on my old workouts. Grinding yourself down. I'd get halfway through a workout <laughs> and then I'd either stop it or I'd turn it down and then finish it. And then the next workout would be turned down for the entire workout. Yeah. You know what I mean? Over and over <laughs> and, and that's over. that. that's like blindly following a plan because it's there. Yeah. Not, not trying to recognize the fact
2: that this plan may not be an exact fit for me. And, and today, this time, sometimes maybe it works just perfectly. That's but, a good point. But when you get to a point where um, subsequent workouts or, or uh, uh, workouts in sequence are, are falling apart, that's that's a that's a dead on tail
1: yeah. that and the I've recently had a big improvement and the key thing is being consistent and what I've done is when I feel like this well, well there's two there's two sides of it. one is I'm always trying to work out but two, if I'm turning I'm making if I'm feeling bad, I'm making the really brutal ones easier because mm-hmm. I'd rather do, or, or the really easy ones even easier too. Like I, I tone everything down and do more than go into a workout where uh, I just know I'm setting myself up for failure. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That I'm not gonna get through it. And then yeah. the next day I'm gonna be behind and the next day I'm gonna be behind that. And then tying in the nutrition to that together yeah, and that's, been that's a whole
2: other topic. And I mean, we've got some questions where we'll elaborate on the nutrition aspect of mm-hmm. it. But it, it does go back to, and I know I say this a lot, but the, the hard days are hard, easy days are easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and less about the easy days. If, if you can't make your hard days hard, and, and I don't just mean you're suffering. I mean you can productively get through hard intervals, then the easy days aren't easy enough. Maybe they don't need mm-hmm. to be even easy days. They need to be off the bike days.
1: And what I mean by that, too, I might take, like there's Mount Deborah plus one. That's 10 intervals. And I'm like, oh, I'm feeling hard horrible today. Mm-hmm. I'll go Mount Deborah, which is seven. Right. And I'm like, I'm just going to go through the seven, mm-hmm. right. Rather than, than all 10. Sure. Um, yeah.
0: it's a, it's a handy trick to be able to use that, to look at the workout that you might be able to turn it down. I, I just want to though. The one thing, cause you guys have added on this, I feel it's uh, solid and almost comprehensive. The only thing that I would add to this is keep track of variables in your life. And that's one thing that I think that you have to do. And I think a lot of people go through their life without keeping track of those necessarily. And that's key because then you're able to to also add that in and weigh that with, uh, you know, not only am I feeling, why am I feeling this way? Instead of just assuming that it might be fatigue, then you say, oh yeah, that yep. was an extremely stressful day All the objective data and
2: feedback we get from the bike workouts, that's all good and fine. That tells one part of the story, mm-hmm. but, but the rest of it is what Jonathan's describing. So you do have to track that subjective stuff. If you're serious about this, all of it has to be looked at to some extent
0: yep. it's all stress on your body. Remember that. So, uh, and, and ideally you can reduce the rest of the stress and so you it, can just put training stress on your body. <laughs> that yeah. would be great. And <laughs> one
2: thing to add, you're going to have bad workouts. So the mm-hmm. occasional bad workout is not cause for concerning or considering all the stuff we just described. It's a, it's a single bad day. It's when they happen in a string, mm-hmm. when, when, when one leads to the next leads to the next, and it's just a downward sort of trajectory. That's when you have to mm. say something's not working.
0: Yep. His next question, can you talk a little bit more about RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion for those that don't know? Uh, I'm starting to think that I'm working too hard on my runs and I'm wondering if that is adding extra stress or too much stress to my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that we'll leave That's the little the additional info and we can reference it if we need, but, yeah. uh, yeah. So RPE is something that we recommend and it as a way to. We've said like, if you absolutely can't train with power and let's just say like, you know, you're, you're away from your, your power meter, your bike, anything else like that. You don't have a way to do it. Uh, RPE can be like a fallback plan on, on, on structuring your work. And that's, it's like, oh, it's a one to 10 scale. Usually there are other ways to look at it. Um, they have one to 22. They have plenty no, of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I hate that scale. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's heart rate tied. So it's, it's tricky, really, right? Just don't need to get should into say it, one to 10. It makes it easy, right? Sure. Yeah.
0: And, and the thing, and one to 10, usually you're somewhere Around seven and a half.
2: And we're talking about perceived exertion here. So rate of perceived exertion. So your yes. perception of how, how it feels, how hard does it feel to you?
0: Yep. And a seven and a half is roughly around where you'd find threshold. Some people say it's eight. Some people say it's seven sure. somewhere around there. Um, so that, that should give you the context. On
2: and that. it's, it's our single defining metric for swim and run workouts. So we don't have, we're not equipped to, to run with power just yet. Maybe ever, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and in
1: swimming, good luck mm-hmm. measuring you know, swimming is all going to be and no one needs to email us in about Stride. We know about the Stride. We, we yeah. know it's out there.
0: We're all yeah. aware. Yeah. We yeah. know running power meters yeah. are out there. They so, just haven't reached the ubiquity that we see with cycling power meters or anything else.
2: And, like. and it just so happens that RPE is a very useful metric, especially as your experience grows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it is subjective. Um, you know, what's, uh, in the case of the runs, and we'll get to this in a little bit, what is an easy run for one runner is not necessarily an easy run for another. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, the idea of running 30 minutes is a grueling prospect. For mm-hmm. others, that's a true recovery run. They can keep it so easy that it actually feels like recovery, just like cycling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So, so you first have to get clear on you know what is actually easy for me. Mm-hmm. And, when, and while I may describe uh, you know an RPE four workout as marathon pace, maybe you never run a marathon. You don't know what marathon pace is. So you kind of have to determine you know if I'm going to go out and run for three hours, what's roughly the pace I think I can maintain. Marathon so there's pace. there's got to be some fun. Just, I'm sorry, some fine tuning in here. And and there is a little um, just a little spreadsheet cut out that, that describes what all these are, tries to relate them to running paces. If you've done these events, if you know what your 10 K pace is, then boom, you know what a seven RPE is. You need to be somewhere in that, that area. So that, that's all nuts and bolts. Figure out what these things are for you. And then, uh, basically you just have to recognize what we were describing when, when when it's too hard of a workout we're not targeting what we're after mm-hmm. and, and it could be as as simple as hampering your next workout so if something is described as an easy run but that run makes you so tired that you carry a ton of fatigue into the next workout which is supposed to be a difficult productive workout
1: that was too hard a pace mm-hmm. um i found that i i used to use my um what are they called? The ventilatory, ventilatory. ventilatory thresholds. Those are useful. Yeah, right. Sure. So we talked about those a long time ago, but I could tie that with my running and I felt like that level two would be threshold and above. And it is. So really quickly,
2: ventilatory thresholds, there's one and two, so VT1, VT2, and they correspond closely with LT1 and LT2, so your lactate thresholds. And and, and the first one basically comes when breathing becomes noticeably labored. And and I'm not talking like you're breathing hard, but now you're conscious of your breathing. Mm -hmm. You can no longer speak in full sentences. Now you're speaking (laughs) three or four words at a time sort of stuff. So now breathing is actually
1: on your mind. It's not mm-hmm. something that was just happening um, subconsciously prior. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna try to t- to tap this out. What I would I tied it to my foot steps yeah, like 90 rpm. So at threshold it'd be like um, my in out in out, in out and then yeah. below that would be three. so in out. In yeah. that's a music major yep. right there. And, <laughs> Got then, good and then recovery would be one wait. In, out. Yeah. In. Easy stuff. Out. Yeah. Hopefully that's not super loud on the podcast. But <laughs> but that well, you you tie that to and runners totally do this. They tie their breathing to it. And yeah. you can there's this pace level where you switch. Yeah. You start breathing harder. And you if now that you're aware of it, you go out and run and you think about that. You'll totally be aware, and that's another good, I think, RP that level. And that ragged switch that you're talking about
2: there, that's when you hit that LT2, VT2. That's the point. That's basically um, FTP, uh, mm-hmm. max, tec, lax, mm-hmm. max lactate steady state, where we get to that point where any harder and we're going to have to back off. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that, that's it. If you, if you want to tie your breathing to it, that's an excellent way to do it. Tie your breathing rate to your stride rate. Yeah, another thing, if it's the
1: easy runs, um, you should be able to like – talk.
2: Have a right? whole conversation.
1: Yeah. You can talk to yourself. I, I I, was joking before you could do the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever yeah. country you're at. Yeah. Probably not read a whole book the whole time, but like, you know, two sentences, talk back and forth. Full sentences. Else. Yeah. If you yeah, can yeah. speak in full sentences, you're, you're
2: probably in the neighborhood of
1: recovery. Yeah. Where if you're at that level. V2 level- there's no chance. Yeah. I, my wife, she just did a duathlon. She comes through the first two miles and I always, I gripe at her. She's not running hard enough. Cause she's like, hi guys. <laughs> I love you. You're doing so well. And everyone else is like, <gasps>
0: <laughs> yeah, the only running race I've ever done. I don't think that there was, I don't know if we could even measure what that ventilatory threshold was. It was like, it was a lot pukey zombie face. It was really bad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Running's hard. Uh, Mark Mark's question. He says, Hello guys. First of all, love the podcast and app five stars all around. I joined TR after I finally plucked up the courage to join my local club. And he says all of whom are subscribed to Trainer Road. Nice. They sound like good good people. Yes, very good. (laughs) He says with your training and the support of my team, I've started racing. I was lucky enough to win a Cat Four crit and leveled up to Cat
1: Three. Nice job, man. Mark, if you'd like to work for Trainer Road to beat Pete (laughs) Morris, we're hiring. He
0: says says, (laughs) I'm enjoying my cycling more than ever. Thanks, guys. He says due to fear, due to a fear of damaging the bike and trainer, I don't practice out of the saddle drills on the trainer. So I assume this is the cause of this. My question, given that I will continue to have limited outdoor time in the coming months due to fatherhood, is there anything that can be done off the bike to try to strengthen the muscles in question? I'm getting worried for the race season. Thanks in advance.
1: Yeah. I'm going to start with this. I had the same fear with my first carbon bat bike back in like 2007. Mm -hmm. And I started pulling everyone. I could Mm -hmm. now that we have this semi-large training company. I have never once heard of anyone damaging a carbon bike on a mm-hmm. trainer from out of the saddle. Yep. Like maybe sprinting, I'm gonna take that out. But just like getting on the saddle and doing your intervals, not a one. Yep, yeah, and and, and I'm that fragile. It's yeah, yeah I probably sure don't want to write
2: bigger concerns. Yeah, I'm
0: sure there's somebody scrambling to write in about somebody that they heard about, and I, I've I've heard of things too, but I've never actually met a person that's done it. And we've we've met or had conversations with a lot of people that train and indoors.
1: Maybe there's you know a 2000 watt sprint. We don't advise sprinting like, you know, like, you know, all out <laughs> yeah. sprinting. I'm going to try to hit 1500 Watts. No, Clearly not. But out of the saddle switching in and out, never you should heard. be able
2: to do that seamlessly. And there, I mean, this, I think sweet spot one, certainly maybe both yep. the sweet spot base plans have a whole lot of climbing drills that teach you how to kind of ease into this very thing, whether it's riding close to the saddle or just riding light on the saddle or there, there are drills that are aimed at helping you become more comfortable out of the saddle, but th- the fact is, and we're getting to this, is that you have to pra- – I mean, do you plan to do this
1: outdoors? we certainly got to be able to do it
2: in practice. And yes. it's not a lot
1: of torque on the frame. Like it's you shouldn't be – when you when you get from in the saddle to out of the saddle, it shouldn't be this huge amount of torque, right? No. It should be fluid. It should mm-hmm. be – Think and, of Contador.
0: Yeah, something that, yeah. Something that I would uh, say with this too is if you are – practicing standing on the bike on the trainer, I feel like you develop a better technique outside because your bike is fixed, so you're very keenly aware of your excessive movement that you have. It doesn't mean that you need to be, you know, straight up and down when you pedal and not move. That's not the point. But I think that I see a lot of people waste a lot of energy when they get out of the saddle when they're standing and they end up wagging the bike excessively or they end up throwing their body weight excessively from one side to the next or and they they're... very common I see is they lean really far forward over the front
2: and there are times where the fatigue is so high that getting out of the saddle probably doesn't make sense i mean it's already a hard enough interval and then you're going to stand and and basically recruit more muscle which requires more oxygen is going to put you in an even deeper (laughs) hole than you're already in yeah so i get that but as far as the lower intensity stuff even even as high as maybe sweet spot Mm -hmm. and, and threshold repeats for that matter you should be able to work in and out of the saddle without completely certainly not harming your bike without completely crippling your effort
0: yeah. So our, you mentioned Brandon need earlier, our, one of our product managers here at Trainer road, he's an incredible climber, uh,
1: incredible, incredible.
0: Uh, but he's working on climbing specifically. That's a main thing that he wants to target. He wants to be the type of person that wins races on climbs. And he likes to spend some time out of the saddle. I talked to him and he spends a lot of time out of the saddle on the trainer as much as like 30%. And he has a, a, a very light and fragile Trek Amanda, right? Like a very light bike. It's not like he's riding some steel thing. His bike's just fine. There's no problems with it. Uh, he isn't like we said, practicing sprints or anything like that. But I, I, the reason that I share this is we did that hill climb time trial and he was out of the saddle for a lot of that. He said, mm-hmm. and I was in the saddle for the majority because I'm training for that 40 K TT, right? So it's very, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time out of the saddle right now. Cause on that TT, if I get out of the
2: saddle. So and and most people are more, po- <laughs> more, most people are more powerful over the longer term when they stay seated. That's yeah. just how it is. It's, it's, it's more taxing to stand and you have to be very fluid, very efficient, helps to be light, helps to be powerful.
0: You're more efficient against aerodynamically efficient when you're in the saddle as mm-hmm. well. And if you're moving at a decent rate of speed that will have an effect. So there's, there's plenty of reasons to say, stay in the saddle as much as you can. But that said, if this is the if you've managed to become efficient that way, and you're dealing with certain things that are, for example, like really steep sections, we had switchbacks on that one yep. and in certain switchbacks, you can either sit down and grind and it can put a lot of stress on those muscles. Mm-hmm. But if you stand up really quick, it can allow you to kind of get up that without excessively stressing those muscles in the same way that they were being used and then get right back into
2: and it. this. This is another argument for off the bike strength training. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the whole strong body is better at doing most things and that includes Who's working in and out of the saddle, standing out of the saddle. If you have poor hip control, if uh, it's poor joint control in in general, but especially in the hip and hips and low back, it's not going to magically clear itself up when, yep. when you're standing on a bike. So if you're if you struggle with balance in a general sense, it's going to it's certainly going to be harder on a bike. I so, per- stronger body
0: particularly point out the benefit of having a strong trunk, as you say, not core, mm-hmm. um, but a strong trunk in that case, because once again, I see so many people when they get out of the saddle that all their weight shifts to their hands and hardly any is on their legs. And that's because what I'm talking about. When you say yeah. trunk,
2: I, I basically mean the midsection. Yep. So we're talking the abdominals, the hips.
0: That's and it. it's, and it allows you to maintain more balance, more central over the bike. And I know that you're thinking like, I want to get forward off my legs. Cause I've been sitting for a while. So I want to stand and get forward and put some of that weight off my legs. Mm-hmm. But really what you're doing is in most cases that you're just really taxing certain muscle groups that way, if you can stay centered over that bike, you can be much more efficient. You can balance the load out a little more when you, you stand. Way.
2: When you stand, you can enjoy a, a greater range of of uh, hip extension. So, mm-hmm. so you're taking overloaded quads standing, and if you do it right, shifting some of that stress back onto your glutes and hamstrings. Yep. So actually move the stress from the, the obvious already fatigued muscles back to the ones that don't get a whole lot of action. Yes, that's
1: that's why I do it. My quads are burning. Mm-hmm. I stand up for a little bit, and then John, your point is the weights through the bottom bracket, like yes. mountain biking, not I shouldn't be like putting all Ever. the weight on my handlebars. Yeah. If right. you
0: feel like, whoa, like off balance, chances are when you get out of the saddle, what I see most people in that situation, the reason they're off balance is because all their weight is on the handlebars mm. and you're yeah. basically trying no, to ride that's, a unicycle. And that's, that's
2: one of the, yeah. uh, you know? a lot of the drills address that very thing. P- people pitch their weight forward. And I mean, the pedals drive the bike, your hands don't do anything but hold you up. So mm. keep your weight where it's, where it's meaningful.
1: Or the other one that you talked about, where if you're not just quads burning, but it's just so steep that oh, you're going to yeah. be at like sometimes 50. you have to. Yeah. yeah you, you, so then you, it's easier to ride 60 RPM or 50 RPM out of the saddle yep. than in the saddle.
0: Yeah. And another thing that I would add to this is when you get into mixed surface, it's extremely important. You'll be very keenly aware of your deficiencies in standing out of the saddle if you're riding on gravel, because you lean forward and you do that, you're going to lose traction and you're going to slide. So you really have to be, be,
1: I guess, well-trained with that. I had a whole year with my oh, yeah. last Yeti, I didn't get off the saddle once on a mountain bike race because yep. I felt so misbalanced, like I was going to fall over. Yep. Um, I've now, we've gotten better. And we've done a lot of training. You guys have all heard of it. Yep. Now, I, all, during the race, all the time. Yeah. Like, especially if it's well, to and just that, get in and out, right. Yep. Yep. And that's where it comes to the, the
2: whole, we put down specificity versus versatility. I mean, if you have to be, if you're a 40 K TT and that's all you're going to do, the only time you're going to stand is maybe at a turnaround or occasionally to stretch. Maybe you don't need to work on this, mm-hmm. but if you're a mountain biker, you better be able to get in and out of the saddle. <laughs> yeah. Not, I won't say effortlessly. It's always going to be effort, but seamlessly, fluidly, yep. frequently.
1: There's this, this higher level on mountain biking than road where you really, if you go too far forward, your real wheel slips yes. and on a climb and you have to unclip. Oh, it's I, and terrible. Then, yep, so and then you can't, usually it's so steep you can't start, so you got to mm-hmm. run your bike up and then everyone mm-hmm. passes you. and Crazy loss of- And you go, sorry, yeah. sorry, because you just stopped a whole bunch of people. <laughs> uh-huh. And you're
0: exhausted too. Yep. It's, it's a good way to mess that up. So if you want to refine your standing, one thing that I can recommend is, you're, yeah. you're, I should say you're standing, you're, you're, you're standing pedaling or out of the saddle pedaling, try to go ride on gravel or something like that, like a mixed surface that's going to tell you if you are centered right Mm. on that bike and being efficient. That's
2: helpful. I'd take it a step further back than that, though, and first address strength conditioning. I mean, again, if you're you're not balanced on the ground, walking, standing on one leg, doing exercises, single leg exercises, unilateral exercises especially, I'd first focus on that and then expect that that will carry really nicely to getting out of the
1: saddle on the bike. How does one know when they're strong enough? Cause there's an upper limit, that's right question. You can't, you're not going to be and no distinct line. But I mean,
2: if you, if you get out of the saddle and you're just all over the place, mm-hmm. uh, it, chances are your hips just aren't very good at doing their jobs. Yeah. There, there's probably nothing that's helping you externally rotate your legs, stabilize because if your hips aren't stable, that carries everywhere else up the chain, down
1: the chain, you, you have to start there. One thing for my upper body strength for mountain biking I talked about being tired now, I think that I'm good enough at the moment because I'm, my upper body is not tired at all. It's not a limiter. It's not a limiter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think maybe that's what you're talking about too, uh, out of the side of climbing is if sure. that's a limiter and you're all over the place. That, that's part of it
2: for yeah. sure. I mean, you don't have to have a strong upper body, but you have to have a, a capable one. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be meaty, but it yeah, has yeah. to be strong. It doesn't have to be like, uh, just, you know what I strong, mean? you hope you're
0: you're <laughs> looking, you're looking to be stable. Like that. that's what you're really hoping. Yeah. For, you can be stable, bantamweight.
2: You can be thin as can be, but if you've got strength where you need it, which is basically in your shoulder capsules and, and, and through your shoulder blades mm-hmm. and down yeah. through and, uh, through your trunk and your hips, then you're good to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, standing isn't bad. Uh, it just needs to be used wisely. Right. So, uh, Mitch, he says, how can I help open up my hips and reverse my, my anterior pelvic tilt?
1: Wait, what does that mean?
2: <laughs> Let's so, discuss so that. If your pel- pelvis is a bowl of water and, and holds water when it's level mm-hmm. you tilt anteriorly or forward, it tips over the front. So okay, we're talking your, about a, your thighs. A person
0: that's that's folded forward pretty harshly. Yeah, over typically that
2: when the when the pelvis tips forward, the low back arches, and it it leads to uh, just a, a low back an excessive low back kyphosis. So so too much of a low back curve.
0: Okay. So, and, and we're talking a curve in the opposite direction of somebody that would be posterior pelvic tilt, rolling it slightly backward, yeah,
2: which is not super common. I mean, most of us, uh, we'll get to what yeah. causes this.
0: I see most people have a problem with anterior pelvic tilt. It's pretty most common. Most people do. Yeah, They're kind of folded there. It's almost like, uh, instead of where their sit bones are anchored on the saddle. And I know that I'm using my hands right now on the podcast. Uh, so, but bear with me if your your pelvis is anchored on that saddle and then your back, isn't just like a a straight line back up to your shoulders. It's got a bit of a bend to it where it's arched Mm -hmm. backward a bit, kind of like a cat stretch a bit, you'll see like. Riders that don't have this issue will look like that versus riders that do have this it's, issue will be more
2: of a straight line. Yeah, it's most so. riders, frankly. I mean, people mm-hmm. who spend, who are desk-bound, who drive, who sit at tables to eat, et cetera. Yeah, we all fixed our <laughs> postures there. Um, but, but it comes down to two things. It comes down to, you know, long muscles, which are typically weak and short muscles, which are typically too tight. Yep. Um, and, and, and that's, uh, if that's what you need to address here, Mitch, is that your hamstrings, your glutes, your butt and, and your hip flexors. So, you know, right at the crease of the, the, the thighs and your abdomen, mm-hmm. those muscles are all short because that's how we spend most of our time. That's how we spend our time on the bike too. So thus, those muscles need to be strengthened and, uh, that could, could be it, but you know, there has to be a, a balance aspect to it. So, so when those muscles are tight, other muscles, or I'm sorry, when those muscles are long and weak, other muscles are tight and short. Uh-huh. And in that in this case, typically it has to do with our low abdominals and then our erector spina, spina, I never say that right. Um, but either way the the muscles that extend it, it, the, the spine in general, but in this case, the low spine, especially, and, and because of this, this is why we did the stretching and the strengthening videos was to address basically all these, these postural distortions that happen because we spend so much time in the seated closed position.
0: Yeah. I think that it's, it's something that I recognize if I take time off the bike and I get back on the bike, I recognize that I have more, my pelvis wants to tilt forward more. Mm-hmm. Um, if I haven't been doing the the strength training, if I haven't been doing the stretching that I need to do or anything else like yeah. that, then I find that I, I fold into that position. Well, I usually get more tension in my back, more pain in my back. Yeah,
2: And see, see, first off, we reinforce that, that forward tilt. When we try to get into any arrow position, most of the time we don't have the strength to hold our sit bones down on the saddle. So what do we do but roll forward under our pubic mm-hmm. bone, maintaining that forward pelvic tilt because mm-hmm. we just don't have too much tension in the places that want to pull it and 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 not enough strength in the places that should stabilize it. Mm. so so that that compounds the issue.
0: Yeah, I've seen and I've seen that with a lot of people. Like you know, th- they're in a decent position. Then as soon as they get to the drops or the race gets harder, they mm-hmm. want to get arrow. It's like and they just sure. like roll forward,
2: teetering on soft tissue at that point. And you, it's you spend a lot of time
0: there, the... and you're gonna be your back's gonna be killing you later on. Yeah, but... and
2: that's so so these muscles that we're talking about in particular, um, certainly the 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 quads as they as they get tighter. But your hip flexors as they get tighter, they insert or originate, I guess, on your lumbar spine. Uh-huh. So so that's why you're feeling that low back pain. So when these muscles get shorter and shorter, they're pulling more and more on that low back as you stay in this closed position. So that's why we have to stretch the low back or address the low back just as much as we address lengthening the actual short hip flexor muscles.
0: Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I used to see this more frequently and I've seen it less frequently. It's a very informal observation of mine, but in cross country, world cup racing used to be like every lap, you'd see the guys like stretching Mm. their back and I see it less and less now. And I wonder if it's because more of them are on full suspension bikes. Perhaps these full suspension bikes also, th- these bikes have a little bit more of a slack head tube angle now. See,
2: it's not something we're ever going to get away from because you know, we're in that position for a long time. So things are going to get bound up. So yeah. it does make sense that at some point they try to add a bit of flexibility into, yeah.
1: into their riding. This yeah, is
0: maybe this, it's because they're strength training more because that's definitely becoming more prominent probably cyclist, part of it. Yeah. But yeah, I'm seeing less of it.
1: This is going to be huge for Leadville for us. Oh, Right, like, Massive. eight hours, and and it's hard to replicate because we've talked about it before, and I don't think any of us. You keep saying eight; I'm going to say nine. but <laughs> not, uh, it's, it's a better bet, yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least for Chad and I, um, no, it's it, it's hard to replicate that, and I don't think we should replicate that. Mm-hmm. But I think we should all be doing a little bit extra strength training. Oh yeah, for that race, because obviously I'm doing these 90 minute mountain bike race right now, and I can't say that I have enough strength. <laughs> to last eight hours, nine hours, nine hours.
2: <laughs> well, and this, <laughs> I get to keep saying eight. The, the, the hip flexors in particular, in particularly, or particularly Mitch are, are kind of difficult to work with. Cause uh, you, you see the couch stretch, you see the yeah. quad stretch. And, and so much of the time your quads are so tight that you can never stretch those, those deep hip muscles anyway. Mm-hmm. So you have to go to greater lengths to actually get those deep muscles. I mean, considering where they originate, where they insert, They're deep. You're not just gonna. I mean, you can feel part of your hip flexor when you flex it, but 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 to get all of it, you have to dig around in your gut a bit. You have to put great pressure on the flexor. It's on the flexors themselves. I mean, it's not an easy get. It's not just to try this stretch, do it every day and you'll be good to go. Even
0: when you go, sorry, but even when you go and get a massage from, from a a, a skilled PT, temporary
2: relief at best,
0: when they go in there, you'll, you'll recognize how deep this is. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the time they're working through your lower abdomen down there to try Mm -hmm. to get to these things, to try to get them relaxed. But then we
2: go and reverse all of that when we get back on the bike. So, so unless that's something that's a regular part of your, your day or or week is regular massage sessions, which for most of us is not, you have to be able to figure, you have to figure out how to, do this on your
0: own. Yeah. And, and, and my point with that is that it's, it just backing up what you're saying about how difficult it is to get to that. I see a lot of people think like, well, I, you know, I stretch my, I, I do like, you know, you said the couch stretch or anything else like that, Useful, I but. roll a bit and I'm good, but I've found that it's really tough to get in there. I can't use like a broad ball like uh, if, if you're trying to massage there, because mm-hmm. a broad one just isn't pointed enough and you have to get into really specific areas mm-hmm. that are pretty small around your pelvis.
2: Yeah, so we're, we're talking about the iliopsoas, which is the iliacus and the psoas major. Mm-hmm. Deep muscles. The, the, the best way I've found personally to get them is to use a lacrosse ball or a little trigger point ball. Find the muscle, which is a, a process in and of itself, but once you <laughs> find it, place the ball on it Take something as heavy as like a 40, 50 pound kettle ball, set that on the ball and actually mash that, or smash that muscle. Mm-hmm. It's not like, again, it's not an easy get and, and it's, it's pretty, pretty painful, I got to say at mm-hmm. first, but over time, Every time I do it, it's a little less painful, which tells me this is going to carry for longer longer durations when I get on the bike.
0: Yeah. One thing that I try to do, and I don't know if this, this really helps a bit, but after a ride, and I've talked about this, I think before on the podcast, but I lay down usually on my back on the edge of our bed. And so that my legs are hanging over. And then I put a foam roller actually lengthwise up my spine and I just kinda try to reverse that position that mm-hmm. I'm in on the bike. Sure. And I found that if I can spend five minutes like that after I work out or anything else like that, that it really does I, I notice a difference in that at least in time to that tension becoming a problem, right? Like it mm-hmm. extends that a bit, um, if anything. So uh, just trying to reverse that that hunched over, crunched up position that we're always in.
1: Always in it's stuff's so, so important to a tight psoas, which is like, it's kind of like in your, your belly. Well, just, just think of your lumbar spine. So, so belly button, navel-ish region,
2: all the way down to the top of your femur. Yeah. It it, it runs that whole
1: length. When I had my lower back pain before, um, the massage therapist who, these are sports massage therapists doing it forever. He thought that I originally had that pain because of a really tight hip flexor and as, yeah. And oftentimes mm-hmm. in the injury, it's the opposite side that causes it of being like mm-hmm. too tight. Right. And the other side overworks. Yeah, pulls your um, pelvis off kilter. Yeah, also when I would, uh, for a triathlon running, and at high intensities, I'd get like a, you know, you call it a side ache. But really what I was experiencing was like a tightening up psoas that was so tight. Mm, yeah. And I think a lot of that was because I'd be on the bike and I'd hammer, 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 hammer in this TT position, which is extremely mm-hmm. <laughs> collapsed, right? Yeah. Like knees touching my chest. Sure. You're folded. And then I would unfold and say, work at 100% of your effort right now, right? And then it would, it would, it would, it would slow me down so many times. And I had this whole um, – my, my other point with that is if you do see a sports masseuse or a PT, try to – say, you know, what can I do to, to do this at home? Because I don't think anyone has the time or yeah, money. You have to be able to do it every day, yeah. basically. Yeah. And I was re- releasing my psoas and it would help. Um, but it's, I haven't been doing it and, well, and you know what, thanks for bringing it up. Cause I should do it.
2: What compounds this whole issue is that if you have any sort of imbalance, so, so maybe t- hamstrings on the left leg are a little tighter on the right side, what that does to your pelvis, mm-hmm. what that does to your quads, what that does to all the other opposing muscles, Y- yet another wrench in the gears,
0: which I think we all are imbalanced to some certain. We oh, absolutely are. Yeah. It's, so I mean, it's keeping, not like, keeping an, your not unique if like, like the, and the reason I bring that up is a lot of people go to the PT and they'll say like, I have a muscular imbalance. It's like, welcome to the club. Like yeah. we all do. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> None nobody, of us are perfectly balanced. Nobody who doesn't. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's really common to have. Um, and, and yeah, it can throw things haywire and, and trying to get those things fixed beforehand is key or as often as possible. So uh, with that, guys, uh, that covers it for this week, or, unless do you have something
1: else. To I have one quick mention. Cool. I didn't do the yeah. cherry pie crit just because I talked to both mm-hmm. pro teams. That was a crit I was going to on Monday. They both said it was technical and crashy and i had an 800 tss week mm-hmm. yeah. and i was just like even just with that i was like oh i was be- begging for another broken collarbone exactly mm-hmm. i was going to try to go off the, the front immediately and then if they caught me i was just going to my truck and drive home yeah but <laughs> with the 800 tss week and the, the technical nature of it i was like you're not going to be able to do that mm. so i didn't want to sit in a crashy field for big week and a couple of big days just prior to it yeah like uh, 500 TSS you, you from made, two days prior. You made the right call. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Chad.
0: Reinforcing the two things that we talked about. The one thing this week, one last week. Uh, this week is recognizing when it's too much is too much. And then the other thing is picking the right races that would hit it, the, the proper level yeah. to allow you to grow. You know? I had
1: a great conversation with Ben-Jacques at lunch. Uh-huh. So he's worn the, the leader's jersey in the Tour of California. Yeah, yeah. legit he, dude. He hopefully it's going to be on our podcast at Sea Otter. Uh-huh. He is amazing. I I talked to a lot of interesting people and I was just sitting there like, "Oh, mm-hmm. please keep talking." He's got <laughs> oh, strong yeah. opinions on like eating disorders for pros and other cyclists. Smart guy. Stuff on Strava. Super smart. Talking guy. about the difference between, you know, workouts having purpose versus Strava. And, you know, Strava's fun. We all like Strava, mm-hmm. but when you have a purpose for a workout, do the purpose of the workout. Don't just try to jam up yeah. the hill. And you know, yeah. and so many things that he talked about and then race tactics. And one thing he said is, I wouldn't do races unless it was my strength. Why would I go to a race when it's not my strength? Yeah. When I do all this training, I just pick, there's plenty of races. I pick the races for my strength.
2: Yeah, we need to get him. He's, he'd be an excellent, yeah. be excellent fun. guest. Excellent.
0: Cool. So thanks, everybody, for joining us on the live stream and for the podcast as well. If you're still with us on the live stream, stay tuned and we'll answer some of the questions that you guys have submitted throughout this podcast. Once again, remember you can submit your questions at trainerroad.com slash podcast and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye.